Oh, Father, our prayer this morning is that you will take your word and that you will change us, that you will encourage us, strengthen us, convict us, move us, Lord, to decision-making, and use your word to purify and cleanse us as well. And, and this morning as well, as we continue to study the scriptures on the prophecies of the last days, use your word to warn us. Father, most of all, may we see Jesus when we open our Bibles. Thank you for the great salvation that we have in Christ and, and the great precious substitutionary lamb that we have who carried our sin to the cross, who by grace through faith we can know as our Lord and Savior. It's in his name that we pray and it's in his name that we take our Bibles and study now. Amen. Well, I wonder if you could ask Jesus any question, what question would you ask him? I invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 24. What question would you ask Jesus if he would walk in here and you could ask him any question? One of the neat things about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that we have many everyday occurrences recorded for us in the life of our Lord, and one of the things that are recorded for us are many questions, excellent questions, that people asked of Jesus. In fact, if you study the Gospels, you'll be hard-pressed by the time you're done to come up with a question that you want to ask Jesus that somebody hasn't already asked Jesus and he's given an answer. And in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 24, as we continue our end-time study... We are going to look at the words of the Lord as he responds to a question. There are some great questions that have already been asked as I referenced. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about Luke chapter 10 and the story of the Good Samaritan. And right before that, what launched that story in, was an answer to a question. That story is an answer to a question. And the question was an excellent question, and it was this. How may I inherit eternal life? That's a great question, isn't it? I was thinking about the occasion where our disciples were with the Lord Jesus in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and that terrific storm came up. In fact, half the guys were fishermen, lifelong fishermen from that area. They had never seen a storm quite like it. They trembled for fear that they were going to die. It must have been a terrific storm. Jesus is asleep in the front of the boat. It's a great picture, isn't it? They panic, of course. That's what he wanted to happen, or he knew would happen. And when he awakes, he speaks the storm still, and they asked an excellent question at that moment. They looked at him. Do you remember? That story is Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. It happened early in his ministry, and they looked at him, and they said, Who is this man that even... The wind and the waves obey him. That's a great question in that boat that day, isn't it? That night. Who is this guy? Those are excellent questions. I hope you know the answers to them. I was thinking a little bit with tongue-in-cheek about another excellent question that we find in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. The Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, and they were presenting to him a woman who had been married seven times, and they were trying to trap Jesus in a theological dilemma and a practical dilemma. And their question to Jesus was, Lord, in the coming kingdom, whose wife will she be since she's had seven husbands? That's a good question, isn't it? Now, most of us don't appreciate the answer. Do you remember the answer? Jesus says, don't worry about it. In the next life, there is no marriage. Oh. I take it that in heaven, that relationships will be at such a whole new dimension and a whole new level that uh, it'll be so far beyond anything even that marriage was, and there won't be a giving and taking of marriage in the next life. So Jesus answered that question for them. And in Matthew chapter 24, we have another great question, questions that are curious, questions that are interesting to us. When we read this, uh, read our text today, Keep in mind two things. One is that this is an unusual answer in that, first of all, often when Jesus was asked a question, do you remember how he would answer the question? With a question. Isn't that frustrating? 
But that's our Lord, isn't it? And He makes you think. And you have to process through. This answer is not a question. In fact, this answer is an extended warning. The second part of what makes this interesting is that this is the longest answer. I referenced this last week. But this is the longest answer to any one question that Jesus was ever asked. And he goes on and on. And he even ends it by telling some stories, as he often did, to finalize his answer to their question. It's a great question. It's a question that we want to know about and that we've been asking in our end time series. We've been trying to lay a groundwork. Hence, we have some props up here. And we're talking about how through time, Christ died on the cross, but then he ascended to heaven. We're now in a, in a church age, a time of grace. There's going to be this event, and we haven't 100% strictly placed the timing of our events because we're, we're still learning and we're still laying a groundwork for all the different things that the Bible tells are going to happen, history, future, prof prophetically speaking. And sometimes it is difficult in these prophetic passages to discern exactly what's being talked about. You also need to be alert as we study these prophetic passages that often they reference specific events. Next week we will talk about one in particularly specific event that is known in history, but it, although it was a real event, clearly the way the text uses it, it is also a foreshadowing of an upcoming event that is like that event. And so we've talked about the rapture of the church, this, this mysterious snatching away. We've talked about uh, when we open our Bibles, and we did that last week to lay a groundwork for this week. It's, it's a little bit repetitive this week, but I want you to see what Jesus taught. As Jesus taught about the future, and as Jesus answers the question to the disciples about the end times, I want you to see that it fits perfectly with what John saw in his vision would take place. And when we look over history, there is no time that we can identify that fulfills these events. They are still waiting to occur. And so we have our, not our binoculars, remember, but our scroll. We have our, and this represents our seals that were broken. And we talked in pretty much in detail about that last week from Revelation 6. And how the, how the lamb that was slain was worthy to open the scrolls that John had this vision of in Revelation 6. And that every time a seal was broken and the scroll was opened, it was as though another layer was spilled out. Another concept was given. And it was in the seal judgments how, how the stage was set. And then the seventh seal was broken and opened. And out of that came seven angels with trumpets who blew their trumpets in Revelation chapter 8. It goes into detail. And every time an angel came forward and blew his trumpet, another specific outpouring of God's wrath took place on the earth. And we know of no other way to take it than real events that are really going to happen that evidently at this point, we, as far as we can identify, have not happened. The seventh trumpet, the seventh angel blows his trumpet. And we go bump forward to Revelation chapter 16, and there we have the bowl judgments. And what an incredible image that is, as it were, as God's wrath were able to be scooped up in bowls and splashed over the face of the earth. And seven times there are bowl judgments. And one of the things you want to keep in mind as we respond to what Jesus teaches his disciples is that the seals lay the groundwork and there is an acceleration. And we're going to see in Christ's teaching that he's going to send us back to Daniel. Have you ever been in a conversation where you're talking about one thing and that leads to remind you about something else and so you go to that and then you go from that to another thing and it's pretty far removed from what you first started talking about? That's a little bit what's going to happen in Matthew 24. And Jesus is going to identify, a bunch of guys are looking at their wives, yeah, I understand exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Jesus is going to do that in Matthew 24, and, and, and I'll point it out to you, we're not going to have time to get to it today, but, but what we want to do when we open the Word is we're going to see how Matthew 24 and Jesus' response to this question that the disciples asked, matches perfectly with the judgments that he's laid out. You're going to see, too, that the trumpet judgments 
begin to accelerate, and then the bowl judgments. And, and, and what we're going to learn more next week than this week is that all of these judgments are going to take place in a literal seven-year window. It would appear that it's a real time, and Jesus is going to point that out by sending us to Daniel. And then Daniel's going to send us clear forward to John's vision in Revelation, where there's more explanation of what Daniel presents. Today we're going to stick with what Jesus taught, and we're going to see how it dovetails with these judgments, and next week we will begin to identify the time frame. You will see an acceleration of these judgments, and ultimately there is a laying out of these judgments in the first three and a half years, and then an incredible speeding up of the viciousness and of the horrific nature of these judgments in the last three and a half years of this window of a specific time. And and so get this in your head, and we'll continue to to process that and to to lay out our timeline more specifically each of the following weeks. So this morning, what I want to do, we're going to do point one of of a three-part message. We're going to do point one as Jesus lectures to his disciples, and it is a map of the tribulation. It's as though it were an overview, a map of the tribulation. It's a little bit like what we did last week, because I'm going to show you how Jesus' teaching and John's vision fit together. Jesus is going to send us, as I said, back to the Old Testament, to Daniel's prophecy, and there we're going to see the man of abomination. The man of abomination, and we're going to meet the Antichrist. The man of abomination is going to set up his own religion... And he is going to then have a mark of identification. So today, a map of the tribulation. Next week, we'll try to get through the man of abomination and into the mark of identification. And that's 666. That's what everybody wants to know about. And it is very interesting. So today, let's see if Jesus' teaching matches up with what we learned John's vision held last week. John gave us a vision of what these cataclysmic events would be. Let's read our text. We're going to read through verse 35. Follow along in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? There's their question. Part two, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Great question, isn't it? That's a great question. If Jesus were here today, okay, what's going to be the ending of all this thing? Jesus answered, verse four, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginning of birth pains." Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. And then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be a great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. 
At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, the, son of, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. And now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. We'll stop there. What a passage. What teaching? Some of it you can get, some of it, what in the world is he talking about? Some of it seems to imply some events that we can mark in history that really happened, and then other events are incomplete. He hasn't filled the sky. He hasn't called his elect from all the four corners of the earth. He hasn't given his sign in the east that could be seen even in the west. We haven't seen an event in history that is unequaled. You can go to 70 AD and the tearing down of the temple that Jesus starts in reference to in this passage. And it was a horrible time, a horrific time. And Daniel's going to reference that time as well. But we can go to other parts of the world and other wars and other moments in history and we can see where not just cities were wiped out like that. We can show where entire nations were basically wiped off the face of the earth with atrocities that were far equal, equal if not beyond. Think of Idi Amin. Think of Hitler. Think of atrocities in World War II. Unequaled, he says. And so the context points to the fact that there are events coming. And when we looked last week in John, we saw events that evidently are still future. As God calls the world to bow down before His Son, Jesus Christ... And particularly, and we're going to see this next week when we go to Daniel and the man of abomination is identified, we're going to see, as Isaiah called it, that this is a time of Judah's trouble. Daniel's going to show us that we can start to mark an actual time frame. I'm telling you it's seven years. Daniel's going to show us where we get that number and how it's divided into three and a half pretty bad years and three and a half incredibly horrible time that we would identify the last three and a half years as the great tribulation. All of this seven years talked about as the tribulation, the last three and a half, the great tribulation, and Daniel will show us how we can time it, how it comes up as seven years. You see, there is a week of years, seven years, that is unfulfilled that Israel has not paid the price for their disobedience from way back in the Old Testament when they didn't keep the Sabbaths. And they have fulfilled 483 years of those. And there's seven left. There's a gap. We're in the church age. I'm going to show you that next Sunday. Be sure and be here. It'll be interesting to you, I think. Now, back to Matthew 24. Here's what I want you to do now. We're going to have to work together. You're going to have to engage your mind. And our point one of our message today, that's all we're going to get through, is the map of the tribulation. The map of the tribulation. I want you to take your bulletin or a yellow card or something, and I want you to open, save Matthew 24. That's where we're going to be much of the time. And we are going to flip back and forth a lot between Revelation chapter 6 and Matthew 24. So will you go to Revelation 6 right now and mark it with a card? All right? 
Some of you like to do this. Others of you, you don't like to do it. So sit and listen. Try to take it in. But if you can, Mark chapter 6 of Revelation. And I want to show you now how Jesus' teaching about the last days in answer to the question to the disciples fits in perfectly with how John's vision unfolds about the last days. Another thing you might do in your mind right now, or even on a piece of paper that will help you, okay, be ready to go from Matthew 24 to Revelation 6. The other thing I want you to do is in your mind, I want you to get out a big yellow tablet in your mind. I want you to strike a line right down through the middle of the tablet. And on the left column at the top, I want to put Matthew 24, Jesus teaching on the last days. Matthew 24, Jesus teaching on the last day. On the right hand column, put Revelation 6, Revelation 6, left-hand column, Matthew 24, Jesus teaching, right-hand column, Revelation 6, John's vision about the last days. I'm going to give you seven marker points where it seems evident that what Jesus is talking about is very much what John's vision holds. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that specifically, and we have to put... The points together, as I referenced earlier on in the, in the message series a few weeks ago, how great it would be if we had a bullet point list given in Scripture and God would just click off in order and times and dates everything that's going to happen, but He doesn't. And these are prophetic passages. And so we're looking forward. Some of them are historical events that have, that have an a, a, a image meaning, that they are a shadowing, they are a foreshadowing of events to come. And there's reason in the text to believe that. All right, in your mind, do you have your tablet? The left-hand column, Matthew 24. The right-hand column, Revelation 6. You have your Bible marked. Now let's go into Matthew 24 and let's unfold it a little bit here and see what Jesus is talking about. He left the temple, it says in verse 1. So in your mind's eye, you're with Jesus. The disciples are with him. And there's the great temple. It's a huge building. It is a beautiful building. It was the, the biggest and, and, and most remarkable building in Jerusalem there. And it was built out of huge stones. You can Google it or you can look it up in your study Bible. It's just remarkable, this structure. Overlaid with gold. Perhaps the sun was setting as they walked by and the disciples commented about the temple. And Jesus remarks to their comments evidently, Do you see all these things? I tell you the truth. Not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. That was hard to believe that that could happen. And so evidently they keep walking. And as they keep walking between verses 2 and 3, the disciples are thinking about what Jesus just said about the fact that the temple is going to be torn down. And Jesus goes up on the Mount of Olives and he sits down. And then the disciples come to him privately and they get to ask him a question. And this is what's been going on in their mind. So this is why it's called the Olivet Discourse, because he's sitting down on the Mount of Olives and his disciples come near and they say to him in private, verse 3, Tell us, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? It's a two-part question. When is this temple going to fall down? And when is, are the signs going to take place? What will be the signs of your coming at the end of the age? You need to realize that the disciples, I believe, were thinking a fast track. They were thinking that his kingdom was very near. They were thinking that these events would take place any day now and that he would establish his eternal kingdom here on earth. At least a political kingdom. And Jesus then gives his answer and it's up to us to discern what he's talking about. So in Matthew 24, we have on our left-hand column of our paper, let's just read a few and click off what Jesus' first three or four signs are. We have used this passage a little bit early on, proving that the Bible definitely teaches the return of Christ. Now let's look at the signs specifically. And Jesus said, verse 4, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. The first, the first of seven markers or the first of seven signs that Jesus gives is spiritual deception. Spiritual deception. There will be a, a great falling away, a great apostasy. We've talked about this a little bit already. His second sign is verse 6. And it is international tension. 
Number two is international tension. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Here's the international dynamic. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So the first marker that Jesus gives is spiritual deception. Watch out for false Christ. The second marker that he gives is international tension. There will be wars, rumors of wars. Nations and kingdoms will rise up against each other. He goes on and gives the third marker. Look at it. There will be famines, physical starvation, 24-7b. The third marker that Jesus gives is physical starvation. There will be famines. And then he goes on to say, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginnings of birth pangs. The fourth markers that he gives is natural devastation. Natural devastation. Notice he talks about earthquakes in various places. The earth is going to shake. There's going to be lots going on that is difficult to understand apart from understanding the Scripture. The first four markers that Jesus gave are in our left-hand column under Matthew 24. Did you get it? Marker number one, spiritual deception. Marker number two, international tension. Marker number three, physical starvation. Marker number four, natural devastation. Now let's come up for air and let's go to Revelation chapter 6 and let's see if Jesus' teaching matches up with what John says is going to take place in the end times when the seals begin to be broken. Let's go to Revelation 6, hold Matthew 24 open, or mark it so you can go right back to it, and remember what John gave us as the seals begin to be broken. Last week we talked about this. He says, I watched, verse 1 of Revelation 6, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals, and then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a white horse, its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now, I don't see anything there that Jesus gave away in Matthew 24. Not on first glance. Let's read the second seal. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And then another horse came out, a fiery red one, and its rider was given power to, t to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. And to him was given a large sword. What was the second marker that Jesus gave? International tension. There it is. As the second seal is opened, it matches the second warning. Let's look back at the first one and remind ourselves, because some Bible students see that it fits Jesus' first warning of the spiritual deception and the falling away. We identified the rider on the white horse last week, or... Some would say it's not really a person, but it's a concept, but it is a power. It is someone or, or, a, or a bank of power that is trying to conquer and conquest the whole world. He carries a bow, so there is a threat of power. He rides a white horse, so it is the idea of a conqueror who has been victorious. He is given a crown, so there's political power. And he rides as a conqueror bent on conquest, so he is forcing people into his system. It is evidently indicative of the Antichrist himself and back to Jesus' first marker, which was there will be great spiritual deception. Many Bible students, using other passages along with these, will identify that as fitting in with Jesus' teaching in that one of the main emphasis, and we will see this next week more, that the Antichrist is going to have as an assistant a false prophet, and they are going to come, he's going to come as it were the Messiah of the world. Now there's the picture. The white horse, the conqueror bent on conquest. I'm your Messiah. I can rule the world. Follow me. I am the mighty one. And many people are going to follow him and fall away from Christ. Hence Jesus' first warning. Spiritual deception. And in fact, it's going to get very religious, especially when we meet the man of abomination halfway through the seven years. It's going to be very religious in nature. He's going to desecrate the temple and temple worship, because this is a time dealing with Israel. Temple worship will be reinstated. 
And he is going to desecrate the temple and it is going to ratchet up for the last half of this seven-year time and it will be very much about worship and a one-world religion. And you're going to see it clearly when Daniel forward projects us clear to John's vision in Revelation 13 and this whole false religious system is established. So there will be, number one, Jesus' marker was spiritual deception. The rider on the white horse very much could represent spiritual deception. Marker number two for Jesus was international tension. The rider on the second horse clearly deals with worldwide war. Let's read on on the next seal. And when the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. And its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Clearly, the message there is one of famine. What was Jesus' third marker of things to expect? Physical starvation. The third seal that is opened is clearly the black horse, which represents natural disasters which are going to bring on famine. And a, a day's wage won't even buy you enough wheat to make bread to feed your family for the day. Now listen, when we read Matthew 24, we often think that these are things that are going on right now. Famines are going on, right? Wars, rumors of war. And it's not that these things aren't, in a sense, he uses the phrase birth pangs. But I really believe that what Jesus is talking about is specifically a window of time when these things will be prevalent. And I think what Jesus is teaching matches so well with the seals that are being opened. And that it is a time where the foundation is being laid. And then more specifically, and in more rapid fire, after the abomination of desolation, the trumpet judgments will take place, the bowl judgments. I think it's possible, this is Van Marceau, that the bowl judgments might take place in a matter of a six-week window or less. At the very end, before Christ comes in the sky, like lightning. Let's read the next seal, what he says. And then the Lamb opened the fourth seal, verse 7. We're in Revelation 6 still. And the Lamb opened the fourth seal, and I heard the voice of the fourth creature, the living creature, say, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse, and its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. The fourth marker is the pale horse. He represents clearly death in general. What was Jesus' fourth marker? Natural disasters, earthquakes and natural disasters. It fits together. It fits this whole idea of the cataclysm, the idea of horrific events that are taking place under God's control, designed to get the attention of the earth, also designed to fulfill the final seven-year window needed for Israel to pay for their sin that Daniel's going to talk about specifically. Back to Matthew 24. Can you flip there right away? Matthew 24. Mark your page in Revelation 6. Jesus' first four markers... Excuse me. Jesus' first four markers that we've seen are number one, spiritual deception. Number two, international tension. Number three, physical starvation. Number four, natural devastation in in verse 7. Let's read on and see what the next thing is. He says, nation, verse 7, will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. And so some of these things are happening today in a sin-cursed world under the watch of God, but I think they will accelerate. I think that it will be much more evident, much more predominant, even than we know today. I also think, and this is my opinion, and I often think how funny people are when they think about God. When God sometimes gives us indicators of these signs of disaster, For example, when we witness natural disasters now, earthquakes, famine, lack of rain, tornadoes, tsunami waves, we always think this is as bad as it gets. We have markers about marking hurricanes. Well, that's a, and and earthquakes, that's a 6.5. And I don't know how these scales work, and I don't think it's prorated, but listen, I think that when the seals begin to be popped, 
and the judgments come out and God is getting the attention of the world, you will wish you had a 6.5 on the Richter scale. And you say, well, God can't do that. That is like the most foolish thing you could ever say. Do you know that God is the one who is keeping things in control? God is the one who is keeping a lid on things. The Holy Spirit, one of his ministries in 2 Thessalonians that he tells us, is even the restraining of sin. He's putting a cap on it. He only lets it go so far. Tsunami waves only get so big. Have you noticed on when we get a volcano in the news, like up in Iceland, a volcano will pop, and like air traffic is messed up in South Africa? For one volcano. What if when the earth starts to shake, there are 39 of them going at the same time? So you think the sky can't turn black? You think that the filtering effect of ash in the air can't make the moon change color? You think that, that when it says the islands will roll back, as we'll read in just a minute, that God can't make a tsunami wave that will literally take islands the size of some of the Hawaiian islands and wash them away? You don't know your God. You don't know the God of the Bible if you don't think He can do that. And that's saying He just, with a thought, trembles the earth. Clearly, there is surmising, and the Bible doesn't tell us, and we surmise that some of these events, as I referenced last week, could be nuclear holocausts. They could be huge, incredible Star Wars nuclear atomic forces that roll back the sea, that make islands vanish. But God doesn't need that. When God says it's time to break the seals and the lamb who is worthy to break the seals, you're going to see that what Jesus is teaching his disciples is exactly what happens. It's exactly what happens. Well, let's move on in Matthew 24. We're through our first four markers. The next one, he reads um, uh, verse 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. And they will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. He's already talked about spiritual deception. But notice in the element here that... Um, that there is an emphasis in verse 9 on being persecuted for those who stand for Christ. Part of this is going to be, as we'll see, that those who do not take the mark of the beast will be put to death. God's people, believers in the Lord Christ, will not take the mark. But notice that the next marker that Jesus says, number 5, is brutal persecution. Brutal persecution, even execution. Flip over to Revelation chapter 6 and look what verse 9 says. And then he opened the fifth seal, and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they're crying out for justice to be done, and God says there's a limit on the martyrs. Clearly, what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 24, 9 fits very well with what John is seeing in his vision in Revelation 6, verse 9. Brutal persecution and execution. Let's keep reading back in Matthew 24 now. He says, verse 12, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. In other words, with the persecution and with the brutality of the regime that is ruling the world, it will be very difficult for people who are followers of Christ but are not wholeheartedly sincere to stick with it. If you don't really mean it and you're not really committed to Christ and you aren't saved and you're posturing, let me tell you, you won't last. You will not last. Then he goes on and he says something very curious. Verse 13, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel, verse 14, this is the curious verse, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. This verse has been talked about a lot by, by people who tried to discern the end times and understand the scripture. And I've heard it understood like this, that there is a day and a time and a place coming when the last person that God wants to hear the gospel is going to hear the gospel, and then bam, God's coming back. Christ is coming back. 
and that this is going to happen. I don't think this is in our time. I think this is in the window of the 70th week of Daniel. And I think that the whole world, even in the middle of all these cataclysmic events, is going to be evangelized. Jesus said it's going to happen before he comes back. Everybody on the face of the earth will have heard the gospel or know who God is, and they will, in essence, be evangelized. And so the, the sixth marker that Jesus gives is global evangelization. Global evangelization. Let's go to Revelation and let's see what we find. We're going to have to turn to chapter 14, uh, chapter 14 for this one, but notice what he says. Go to Revelation chapter 14 and notice in verses 6 and 7 what it says. Okay, we have missionaries come in and they come to our pulpit. And do they say, everybody in the world's been reached, but we're going to go teach them the Bible. We have missionaries the opposite, don't we? They come in and they say, we're going to go up in the Andes Mountains and we're going to walk in the mud all day to get to a tribal group that what? That has never heard the gospel. And there are literally hundreds of thousands, if not a few million people on the face of the globe who have never heard the gospel and have not been evangelized. You could say, yeah, but the radio waves and television and, and computer internet, technically the world is evangelized. There is no spot on the globe that you can go where you can't somehow receive the gospel if you had a computer. Well, I don't think that's true. I think that what this is talking about is what Revelation is talking about in chapter 14. And notice what's happening here. John in his vision in Revelation chapter 14 verse 6 says, And then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Now, I don't know how this works exactly. And I don't know the identity of these angels exactly. And I don't know if it's like an angel with a loudspeaker. But clearly, the angels are charged with letting the world know who God is and that they have a creator and that they are called to worship him. And in the timeline of the book of Revelation and John's vision, this takes place in the second half of the 70th week of Daniel or the great tribulation period here. And I think that's what Jesus is referencing in Matthew 24, 14, when he says, when the whole world has been evangelized, then I'm coming back. And the angels are part of who's charged with somehow revealing, will it, be, will it be a spiritual unveiling of their spiritual eyes? Will it be some kind of a worldwide memo that's put out on the internet? I don't know. But you also need to know, and this is very interesting to talk about, but we really don't have time now. If you let your eyes glance up, you should still be in Revelation 14. If you let your eyes glance up on the page, the heading in my NIV Bible for chapter 14 is the Lamb and the 144,000. We don't have time to unveil that, but do you know who the 144,000 are? They are representatives from all 12 tribes of Israel, 12,000 from each tribe. Some Bible scholars call them evangelists. They are evidently real people raised up from the 12 tribes of Israel, further evidence that this 70th week window of Daniel, of, uh, 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period and the three and a half years of great tribulation is mainly God dealing with national Israel. But 144,000 evangelists will be going all over the world preaching the gospel. People will be saved. Israel especially will be saved during this time and people will be killed and slaughtered in the martyrdom. There's also, if you turn back one page, one other, and this is very interesting, in Revelation chapter 11, beginning with about uh, verse 7. There are two prophets that God reveals during this time. I take this to be two literal men who will be sent to earth or raised up from the people of the earth here, 
and they are prophets of God. We used to use a youth evangelist named Dave Bogue. I, actually, you need to pray for Dave Bogue. Some of you know him. Uh, I have Dave scheduled to be our 20th anniversary speaker this fall, and his health is so bad that they're already telling me not to count on him being able to make it. He's struggling so much this year uh, with some problems physically, so pray for Dave. But 20 years ago, I used to bring Dave in to speak to our youth groups, and Dave used to always uh, promote his next night message uh, with the teens, and he would say, come back tomorrow night, and I'm going to show you where there's television in the Bible. Oh, where's there TV in the Bible, Dave? And he would come to this passage, and notice what it says. It says, now they had finished their testimony, and the beast that came up from the abyss will attack them, verse 7 of chapter 11 of Revelation, and their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, that would be Jerusalem, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, which, where also the Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation, and tongue will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial and the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on earth how did they torment them they preached christ they're men of god let your eyes go up above to verse six these men speaking of these two prophets had power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain. This is Revelation 10, 11, 6. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. Have you ever heard a story like that before? A prophet who shut up the sky during his ministry of rain. What was his name again? Elijah. He prayed and the rain stopped, right? And let's read on. Look at the next part of the verse. Look what it says. And it says... It will not rain during the time of their prophesying, and they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. You ever heard a story like that? What's his name? Moses. Some people believe that this is a literal reappearance, reappearance of Moses and Elijah. The Bible doesn't say. The Bible says they are Moses and Elijah-like. You can't help but see that, right? And they are going to torment the earth. Doing what? Telling them there's a living God. Telling them there's only one way, one truth, one life. Do you ever notice how people don't like to hear that? It's an exclusive word. It's a narrow road. Did you see that Jesus already said in Matthew 24, in the falling away passage, and he said, he used the word, and most will not come. And Elijah and Moses II, in this passage, they will also preach the gospel. And the gospel, there will be global evangelization. And people all around the world for three and a half days are going to watch it on their internet. They're going to watch it on television. They're going to watch it on their, um, on their handheld devices. It's going to be everywhere. You're going to walk in the gym if you have time to work out during these times because it's accelerating and it's evil and it's, and it's uh, heinous, cataclysmic activity and you're going to see it on every screen you see and they're going to be watching their bodies in the street but guess what happens after three and a half days gotta love to see it god raises them up the whole world will know it and i think that this is exactly what jesus is talking about back in matthew 24 when he says in verse 14 that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, but then the end will come. Jesus is going to say something in the very next verse that is going to shift gears completely, and it's going to send us to the Old Testament next week. And he's going to say this, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, then let the reader understand. There's some things we're supposed to understand when we look at Daniel's prophecy. So what were the markers that Jesus gave? Spiritual deception, international tension, physical starvation, natural devastation, brutal persecution, global evangelization. There's one more. We won't take time to look it up. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 29, The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. Matthew 24, that's our seventh marker. And it's universal 
disruption, universal disruption. And if you turn to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12, you see almost a direct quote from Isaiah's prophecy. And there it is. It matches exactly what Jesus says is going to happen. A universal disruption of the planetary activity as we know it. Stars falling from the sky. The cause could be nuclear warfare, could be an imbalance of whatever man has come up with to fry the world. It could be just God saying, now's the time for me to break this seal and make it happen. Those are the markers. So that's a map of the tribulation. That's a map of the tribulation. Next week, the man of abomination, and then the mark of identification. Do you believe this stuff? You believe this stuff? Do you know that you believe weird stuff? This is very weird. Can I remind you of one verse before we go? Matthew 24. You thought I was done. I am done. (laughs) Look at 35. My friend, listen to me this morning. If you hear this stuff, it's, we didn't make it up. We didn't have a teenage boy go out behind the barn and put some spectacles on and say an angel appeared to him and make up weird stuff. This is Jesus talking. This is our Lord himself. And he says in verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away. Look, all of this stuff, the earth is going to melt away. But my word shall never pass away. My friend, are you paying attention to God's eternal word? Can you sit here this morning and say, bah humbug, head out the door, hope that NFL starts pretty soon. And go on living without any fear of God in you. This is the eternal word of God. And it should, it should make us tremble. Isaiah 66, 2b. This is the one I esteem. He who is contrite of heart and trembles at my word. Do you tremble at this stuff? Or do you just think, oh man, somebody ought to make a movie out of that. Let's bow in prayer. Listen, this is the time when you need to surrender. This is the time when you need to say, okay, this is the word of God. This isn't make-believe, and this is really going to happen. And apart from my relationship with Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sin through his shed blood, I could get stuck in this. Listen, the seals could, get, the seals could begin to be popped open within days or weeks of right now. It could really happen. God's clock could kick into gear. You need to cry out to God today in fear and in trembling and in your sinfulness and tell Him that you know you're a sinner and tell Him that by faith you receive what Jesus Christ has done for you at the cross. Be born again. Be saved. Let your sin be washed away by the blood of Christ. Receive His righteousness. Stand before Him just. You do that right now in your your own mind and heart. You come forward when we sing. We'll happily talk to you. Pray with you. Surrender your life to Christ. Admit your sinfulness. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. Confess this to be true for you in faith believing. Father, do your work in our hearts and our minds. Father, would you wake us up and help us realize that as bizarre as this seems and as difficult as it is to interpret biblically, that clearly it speaks of horrible times. Clearly it speaks of times when you will get the world's attention. And so will you humble us? Help us to enter into your great salvation this morning. And thank you for your word that will never pass away and that every word of it will come true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.